Welcome to Ridiculous Revisions, a podcast to ruin childhood. I'm your host, Chris Hellcamp. Each episode, I take a tale told to children and offer an alternative take, one that will leave the stain on your soul just a little darker than it was before you came here. This episode, we consider the tale of Rapunzel. In it, a hyper-possessive witch locks up her daughter Rapunzel in the top room of a tower that is only accessible by climbing Rapunzel's epically long hair. Of course, long story short, a handsome prince eventually comes to her rescue and makes everything better. Now, based on the original Grimm story, it's not unreasonable to assume that Rapunzel's hair measured at least 40 feet long. That's more than twice the length of the longest human hair recorded by Guinness. The woman who holds that record grew her hair out over the course of decades, but Rapunzel was barely an adult. So we can conclude that her hair grew at a freakishly fast pace. With that in mind, let's imagine a whole new version of Rapunzel's life. A long time ago, there was once a man and his wife who wished desperately for a child of their own. But they had some difficulty conceiving. They tried all the cutting-edge fertility treatments available at the time. They prayed to God, and they prayed to God. The husband gave up his ultra-snug codpiece for a looser-fitting one. The wife stepped out of the marriage with that virile stable boy down the road. Eventually, God rewarded their faith. Or maybe it was just that last item that did the trick. Anyway, they had a baby girl and she was adorable. Shining blue eyes, chubby cheeks, luxurious flowing golden hair. Yes, this newborn already had a full head of hair that went down to her waist. And it kept growing. The infant's hair grew like a weed, so the parents named her Rapunzel, after the plant. It wasn't long before the novelty wore off and the blessing of Rapunzel's fast-growing hair became a curse. Every time they cut it off, it would be back to its terminal length of about 40 feet within a few days. Keeping that hair out of harm's way was a full-time job, and the pair of busy parents just couldn't keep up with it. If you stood there and watched long enough, you would actually see it grow longer. It was becoming a safety hazard. Her parents kept tripping over it. The mice that infested the house kept getting caught in it, and it shed 100 times worse than any pet you've ever had. The final straw came when Rapunzel's hair grew into the fire when no one was looking. Her parents managed to put the hair out, but not before the flames had spread to other parts of the house. They were able to flee before the smoke choked them out, and their quaint home collapsed into a pile of burning timbers. After that, the parents decided with more than a little sorrow that they could not keep the child they had wanted for so long. They just did not have the resources to take care of Rapunzel without endangering them all. Their next-door neighbor... An odd old woman who was said to be a witch in hushed rumors that circulated the village offered them a sum of money to take Rapunzel off of their hands and raise the infant as her own. The parents figured they could do a lot worse. This woman owned and managed a successful business that provided this village and five others with popular herbal remedies. She had even been consulted by Rapunzel's parents over their fertility problems. This woman was rich. Her mansion was one of the largest homes in the village. As to the rumor of her being a witch, well, that's just what people of the day tended to call an independent, capable woman who had single-handedly built up enough fortune and influence to run an entire town from behind the scenes. We'll keep referring to her as the witch, though, because it's more fun than saying Judy. If anybody had the resources to handle the baby's special needs, it was the witch. 
Rapunzel's parents took the witch up on her offer and, not wanting to stay around so many painful memories, used the money to start a new life elsewhere. Rapunzel thrived more or less under the witch's care. The hair that had caused so much trouble before was much less a hazard in the witch's clean and spacious home. What's more, the witch was getting on in years and she knew she needed to choose a successor if the medicinal empire she'd spent decades building was to survive her death. The witch started training Rapunzel at a very young age. It started with identifying certain plants and their beneficial properties. It advanced onto mixing various solutions, such as the witch's most popular, Belly Flattening Detox Draft. The detox draft, by the way, really didn't do anything miraculous other than make a person poop a lot. By the time she was ten, Rapunzel was helping record and balance the books. In a time when the average man was unlikely to learn basic math in his lifetime, much less a woman, Rapunzel was getting a first-rate business education before she was even a teenager. The girl became a shrewd negotiator when bargaining on the price of supplies. The witch's vendors quickly learned to take the girl with the lengthy braid of hair piled in her cart seriously. It also helped that they knew who she worked for, and souring a deal with Rapunzel would cut them off from their biggest customer. The witch loved Rapunzel as much as a local titan of industry who had cut off all other personal relations for the sake of success could love another person. Not surprisingly, there were limits to the witch's ability to parent, and as Rapunzel started to grow out of childhood, the witch grew more and more desperate to steer her young ward away from distracting influences. At 12 years old, Rapunzel was starting to show interest in... Boys! The witch noticed that Rapunzel was spending more and more time with the miller's son. It looked innocent enough to everyone else. A hand held here. A glance there. But the witch saw a dire problem with Rapunzel smiling and giggling in front of this boy. In the witch's eyes, tying herself to a man was one of the worst things a woman could do, because it took away her power. If the witch had ever gotten married, all that she had built would have been subject to her husband's whims, and with the witch planning to leave it all to Rapunzel when she was gone, this was a threat to the witch's legacy. The witch decided that Rapunzel would need to ride out puberty in isolation to keep her from doing anything regretful. So, the witch brought Rapunzel, magnificent mane and all, far from the village to a tall, freestanding tower, one of the many pieces of real estate that the witch had invested in, and locked Rapunzel inside the room at the very top. Rapunzel was officially grounded for the foreseeable future. Once a day, the witch would travel to the tower. No... She didn't climb up her adopted daughter's hair. She took the stairs, like a normal person. She'd bring food, clothing, and anything else Rapunzel needed. You know, besides freedom. It took a few days for Rapunzel to resign herself to this new life. But when she finally calmed down and realized there was really nothing else to do, the witch was able to continue training the girl in the ways of the business. When she wasn't taking in the spectacular view from the tower window... Rapunzel would spend most of her days preparing batches of medicine, or drafting trade contracts. The stuff of every teenage girl's dreams. She'd have everything done before it was time for the witch to come by with some provisions and the next day's work. Rapunzel would occasionally bring up the subject of being let out of the tower, but the witch would always just tell her that the time wasn't right yet. And as much as the witch wanted to let her out, this was for Rapunzel's own good. It went on this way for some time, Rapunzel's desperation to once again see the outside world only grew over the years, and one day, she crafted a plan to do something about it. 
One day, Rapunzel stared lazily out the tower window, daydreaming about being visited in her room by a handsome young man. Oh, no one in particular. Just an imaginary figure rich in both wealth and muscles. In her daydream, he had come through the window after she let down her hair for him to climb. Wait, that was it! She was a little ashamed it had taken her years of being locked in that tower for the thought to come to her. To her, it had always just been something to work around, to just push aside while she focused on the task at hand. But that day, as she held onto her own enormous braid of hair, she understood that the very thing that had hindered her throughout her whole life, in almost everything she did, would finally be the key to her freedom. She grabbed a nearby pair of scissors and gripped her hair tightly in front of her with her other hand. Then she cut. And cut. And cut. Rapunzel's neck muscles eased under the sudden release. She now had a forty-foot-long rope of strong human hair at her disposal. She tied one end around the leg of her bed frame, dropped the other end out the window, and climbed down to freedom. Knowing she'd be recognized and brought back to the witch if she set foot in any nearby town, she slipped into the woods. Rapunzel traveled alone in the woods for several months, putting more distance between herself and her old life. It was slow going after her hair quickly grew back to its full length, but the hair itself was not without its uses. Having no knowledge of hunting or trapping, she was able to get just enough sustenance to keep on living from the many small creatures that tangled themselves in her tumbling tresses. She learned to fend off wolves and bears by spreading her glorious mane out with her hands to make herself appear larger and more imposing. Her delicate dress eventually wore down to scraps from the brutal treatment of the wild. She lived her life according to the older and harsher laws of nature. Rapunzel was basically feral by the time she stumbled upon a traveling merchant's camp and got captured while trying to take some food. Rapunzel had succeeded in her goal of escaping the witch's influence. She was in a strange land where no one would recognize her. She tried to plead with her captors to let her go, but not one amongst them could recognize the language she spoke. Her wild, unkempt appearance with her inhumanly long hair convinced them they were looking at some spirit of the forest. The merchant, not one to let an opportunity pass him by, sold Rapunzel for a hefty sum to the king of the land. Rapunzel soon found herself in a gilded cage. That's not a euphemism. She lived in an iron cage plated with gold as part of the royal family's own collection of exotic curiosities. She was kept unwashed and unkempt. She was dubbed the Savage Weed Woman of the Dark Forest and was taken on a tour of towns and cities all over the kingdom. She was put on public display to show off the vast reach of the king's power and to remind the people of the many wonders that the king brought to them. Rapunzel tried to tear out her hair, but it grew back faster than she could get rid of it. She screamed and spat at gawking crowds. She clawed at children who got too close to the bars of her cage. But her hostile behavior only played into the narrative that the king's men had crafted for her, and the people loved it. After some years on tour, she was called back to the palace. The royal family wanted to try something new. In another PR move meant to demonstrate the power of the king over nature, they wanted to see if they could turn their savage weed woman into a civilized weed woman. Rapunzel traded her cage for a guarded room in the royal palace. For the first time since she had escaped the witch's tower, she had a warm bed to sleep in. Handmaidens scrubbed the years of grime off her skin. She found herself in a gown of the finest materials the kingdom had to offer. Her hair, hopelessly tangled into a Gordian knot of its day, was cut off and brought to order as it grew back. 
A team of women was employed for the sole task of caring for Rapunzel's hair. They brushed and braided it. They treated it with fragrant oils to maintain its glorious shine. They followed Rapunzel wherever she went, holding up her rope of hair like some sort of spectacular bridal train. Then came the army of specially appointed tutors. The royal family went all in on this effort, and Rapunzel suddenly had access to the very best education there was to offer. She quickly picked up the language of the kingdom and could finally speak with people again. She studied mathematics, science, philosophy, literature. She was taught all of the miscellaneous protocol that came with being a noble at court, such as how to address people of varying degrees of social status, which clothing to wear for which occasion, which knife on the table is used for cutting food, and which knife is used for defending your honor. All of this was for nothing if the royal family didn't show it off, so the newly refined Rapunzel was taken on a second tour around the kingdom, this time in high society. She attended a seemingly endless string of fancy galas and extravagant manners, her hair maidens in tow. Nobles that had expected to see something of the feral wild woman they had heard of were pleasantly surprised to find a beacon of sophistication and refinement in Rapunzel. The delicate accent that she carried over from her native land into her new language added a hint of exotic mystery. She won over almost everyone she met with her charm and her wit, and there's no denying that her hair was a conversation starter. By the end of the tour, it was safe to say that the country's nobility more or less considered Rapunzel to be one of them. It was only a matter of time before the prince noticed her. Really, you can't move that much hair around the palace and not be noticed. The prince was smitten. He would have proposed marriage to her. But that's not how his family did things. The king, queen, and prince were all members of a family tree that ruled several other nations, and this family did not like sharing power. The prince, son of the king and queen, was the child of two cousins, who themselves were children of two cousins, and so on up the line. Their family tree was more of a family web. They had inbred so much that much of the family, including the prince, was sickly and somewhat ghastly in appearance, with huge foreheads, bulging eyes, and exaggerated ears. They were not unlike the Habsburgs of historical fame, clinging on to power with a selfish paranoia that threatened to turn them into an upper-class version of The Hills Have Eyes. A man in his late thirties, the prince should have already been married off, but the centuries of inbreeding were starting to leave many branches of the family infertile. No one had yet produced a suitable daughter to pair with the prince, and as long as the royals refused to relax their policy of keeping power in the family, he would never marry. So, he asked Rapunzel to be his royal mistress. Rapunzel was repulsed by the proposition. It wasn't just his looks, which she probably would have been able to overlook after enough time, if he had any other positive qualities. But the prince was everything else you'd expect out of a family whose own stubbornness was breeding itself out of existence. Conversation with him was always dull and uninteresting, with him being unable to talk about anything other than how great he was, despite having no accomplishments to his name. Still, Rapunzel couldn't refuse. She was still technically property of the royal family, and saying no to the prince simply wasn't an option. She accepted his proposal and became his royal mistress. Put another way, she was his girlfriend with no option to marry. Rapunzel endured the prince's company for years. She accompanied him to all manner of ceremonies and social events, and it was clear she outshone him. People would tolerate the dull and self-serving behavior of the prince, 
soothing his ego with feigned interest and polite laughter. But Rapunzel was the real reason that anybody wanted to talk to the couple. She dazzled with her knowledge of philosophy, scientific theory, and court politics. There was little question which of the two of them would be a better fit to rule, though no one would dare say it in the open. Speculative whispers circulated in the parlors and ballrooms about who would wield the real power when the prince ascended to the throne. It was a good run, but death finally came for the king. He lived through two wars and three assassination attempts to reach a ripe old age of 75. And he might have even made it to 80 if he hadn't gotten that chicken bone stuck in his throat. It was time for the prince to take the throne. The whole country held their breath in anticipation. Well, just the nobility. The average peasant working the fields couldn't have cared any less. But the prince would never make it to his coronation. On the morning that he was to be crowned king, he was found dead in his bedchamber. Officially, the cause of death was apoplexy, which was usually just a way of saying we don't know while still sounding formal enough to keep people from asking questions. There was no mention in the official report of the bruises around his neck, or the strands of conspicuously long blonde hair found on his body. It seemed that the court would have to extend its period of mourning. What's more, the prince was childless. He had no heirs. The royal family's line had officially ended. For the immediate time being, though, the prince's mother, the recently widowed queen, would be next in line for the throne. But the prime minister saw an opportunity for change here and approached Rapunzel for a sensitive conversation. By the end of the day, with the court still reeling from the sudden loss of the prince, the queen's crumpled body was found at the bottom of a stairway with something like a knife wound in her back. Her official cause of death? Apoplexy. The Prime Minister immediately launched a campaign to install Rapunzel as the new queen. Rapunzel's popularity with the upper class worked in her favor here. Many prominent nobles threw their support behind her, and she was crowned queen. The coronation ceremony wasn't the end of it, though. Rapunzel was still a foreigner with an undistinguished lineage, and there was a highly vocal segment of bluebloods that refused to recognize her right to rule. But Rapunzel's years among royalty had taught her how to play the game. She had spent much of her life as a prisoner of some sort, locked in a tower by her adoptive mother, displayed in a cage by the king, and made to serve as unwilling arm candy for the former prince. It had all taught her the ruthlessness she needed to weather this minor inconvenience, and put an end to the problem before it grew. One by one, she had the royal guard take the dissenting nobles into custody. Their lands were seized and redistributed among Rapunzel's supporters. Show trials were held for the public, Evidence was fabricated. The verdict was always the same. Guilty. Every one of them was sentenced to be hanged by the neck until dead. The executions were made into a three-day event. Food and drink were provided courtesy of Queen Rapunzel Longhair. Throngs of people gathered for the spectacle. This was the mass entertainment of the time, after all. Spectators vied for position closest to the gallows so they could see the bulge of the eyes and the snap of the neck. Children played in the crowd and munched on bread that had been twisted into the shape of a noose. Each time a condemned man was walked up to the stage of the gallows, the buzz in the crowd reduced to a low hum. As the noose was placed around his neck, the hum turned to faint whispers. His name and his falsified crimes were read, 
and he had an opportunity to say some last words. Many professed their innocence to the boos and laughter of the masses. Others cursed Rapunzel's name. One even recited a dirty limerick. The rest accepted their fate in stoic silence. Then, a lever would be pulled, the trapdoor underneath the condemned would give way, and a deafening cheer would erupt from the crowd. As each former noble took his place on stage and had the rope placed around his neck, he couldn't help but notice one small detail that even those closest in the audience did not see. The rope that would take his life was made from impossibly long, blonde hair. That's it for this episode of Ridiculous Revisions. This episode was written and produced by me, Chris Hellcamp. The website for this podcast isn't set up yet, but if you have any questions or feedback, send an email to chris at ridiculousrevisions.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at ridiculousrevisions.com. I'm also available on Twitter under the username RidiculousRevs. Thanks for listening.